0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, and we are talking about Easter today, but we wanted to let you know that we're starting a series next week that's going to continue on the rest of the month, where we're going to be talking about how to resolve conflict in marriage, how to uh, set goals and plan uh, budgets and finances together, and how to reignite uh, passion and intimacy and romance in your relationship, because... Uh, All marriages have conflict, and uh, the number the number one and two things we fight about are money and uh, intimacy and romance. Well, I guess that's three. But anyway, um, those are the things we fight about, and so we're going to talk about that next week. Happy Easter. Okay, so uh, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) Yeah, it's just true that today we're going to talk about that Jesus is alive, and next week we're going to talk about well, how do you apply that wonderful truth and the wonderworking power of Jesus to my life and yours? Well, if it shows up in our marriage, it'll strengthen the whole home. So we hope you'll be a part of that too. Today though we're talking about Resurrection Sunday. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline. Uh, my message has that title on it. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill out the fill in the blanks or take notes, just raise your hand and us will bring it to you. I want to welcome all the people worshiping with us via video at Pike Road and Wetumpka and Cloverdale and downstairs? Okay, uh, we had a, a full a full house here, and so we got a lot of folks there, and so. We're glad you're along with us as well. Um, But this morning, we're going to talk about the significance of what it means that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's good news for you and me, and this morning, I want to remind us of why, and I want to make a lot of applications to your life and mine as well. So let's jump right in and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Lord, we need the good news of Easter uh, because I need all the uh, joy and strength and power Uh, that comes uh, through a relationship with you, Lord, because you're a risen Savior. I pray that you'll move me out of the way, Lord, and you'll speak whatever we need to hear today about the good news of Easter. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. This message is part of a series we've entitled, One Week uh, That Changed the World. We talked about how the Sunday before Easter, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Started this about seven weeks ago. And people... Throngs of people came and threw palm branches, threw their coats on the ground so the donkey could ride over them, and they sang, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That Tuesday before Easter, Jesus uh, rebuked the religious leaders and later on met with his disciples and told them, Hey, these are the signs of the end times. When I return, this is what it's going to look like. Between now and then, I have work for you to do. On Thursday, uh, on the Thursday before Easter, Jesus inaugurated the Lord's Supper, had a Wonderful meal with his disciples. Later that Thursday night, Judas betrayed him, Peter denied him, and then last week we talked about how on Good Friday, Jesus was nailed to a cross, and before sundown, he had died. After he died, his body was taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb. And if you're not familiar with a rolling stone tomb, the type of tomb that Jesus was buried in, it was simply a, a wealthy man by the name of Joseph who came from Arimathea had uh, paid sometime in the past for a family crypt to be hewn out of limestone. Somebody would chisel a small cave, uh, about tall enough for uh, about this high. My wife and I have been to Israel before, and we've seen one of these caves. The ceiling inside the cave is about this high. There are shelves on either side where a body could be placed, and then there's an opening carved uh, you know, the the mouth of the cave that's carved into it, probably about waist high, big enough so that you're carrying a body in on a stretcher, one person could be backing in, the other person could come along behind them, and you place the body on one of the shelves on the side, and then you walk out of the tomb, and a large stone, which had been carved to fit into a trough that was in front of the opening, would be rolled into place, and would drop in and seal the tomb. That's what happened in the case of Jesus, and this was all Friday night, it was Passover week. Sabbath day. Devout Jews don't work on the Sabbath from sundown Friday night till sundown Saturday night. After Saturday night, it's too dark. There was no electricity in those days. And so the women who had traveled with Jesus, who wanted to give his body a proper burial and anoint it with spices and perfumes, had to wait till Sunday morning to come back. But before we get to Sunday morning, I want to talk about what happened on Saturday as part of this one week that changed the world. This is point one on your outline. On that Saturday between Good Friday, when Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, and Sunday morning, the religious leaders that had wanted Jesus dead in the first place requested that an armed guard be posted around Jesus' tomb. We talked about this last week, but the leaders didn't, they never believed Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. Didn't matter how many blind people could see and how many lame people could walk, didn't matter even if Jesus rose people from the dead, which he did, they wouldn't believe him. And so when he claimed to be the son of God, they said, you're a liar, you're a false prophet, you're a blasphemer, you deserve to die. And they talked the Roman governor, Pilate, into carrying out the execution for them, and Jesus was nailed on a cross. And he died there. But on that Sabbath, this is from Matthew 27, on the Saturday, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate again. And they told him, sir, we remember what that deceiver, speaking of Jesus here, once said, well he, was still, uh, well, he was still alive, and they're the ones blaspheming now. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards, secure it as best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Sealing the tomb would have simply meant where that stone was rolled in place, taking a wax seal on the stone and a wax seal on the cave wall with a cord in between, you know, with the governor's seal on it, so it would have been kind of like a tamper-proof seal. If the cord was broken or the seals were broken, it meant somebody got in there. And then there would have been a contingent of guards, armed guards, in front of the mouth of the tomb to make sure nobody did that. Because they didn't want a hoax being perpetrated here. Now what's interesting is... Amazingly, this is a note in your outline Jesus' enemies put more stock in Jesus' promises than his own disciples. I mean, they had picked up on the fact that Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead on the third day. The disciples, when Jesus was arrested after Judas betrayed him in the middle of the night, Thursday night, they all abandoned him, deserted him. They were scared to death. In John 2, we find out right after Jesus has started his ministry, he is proclaiming the kingdom of God is coming. He is tell he is performing miracles and teaching people how to have a right relationship with God and he walks into the temple one day in Jerusalem in the outer court of the temple there are all these people selling animals and exchanging currency people came from all over Jerusalem i mean all over Israel to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices according to how God had told them to uh, to honor him and confess their sins and old testament law and so that when they would come and buy a sacrifice they would find out that that if they bought an animal in the outer court of the temple, the price was sky high. And then when they would go and exchange their money, if they were from out of town, and exchange currency, the exchange rates were just outrageous. And so the money changers and the animal brokers there inside the temple were making a killing. And apparently the religious leaders allowed it because they gave them a cut. And Jesus came in there and he couldn't stand it. Because the temple was where people came to get right with God. This is where they came to pray, and now they were getting ripped off. And so Jesus made a whip of cords. He went around whipping people, turning over these tables of the money changers, driving out the animal brokers there, saying, Get out of here. You're a bunch of thieves and robbers. My father's house should be a house of prayer. You're slamming shut the door of heaven in the face of people who come to get right with God. Well, this didn't make the religious leaders any too happy. Bad for business. And so here's what they said. This is in your outline from John 2. What are you doing speaking to Jesus here? If God gave you authority to do this, then show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What, they exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. And he was raised, and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. And it's interesting to note, Jesus' enemies, the people who are getting all the money off of this, the religious leaders, they picked up on it, and the disciples didn't. Now, what's important for you and me to pick up on today is this. There's a life application. You and I can trust Jesus to keep his promises. The religious leaders didn't believe for a minute Jesus was actually going to do it, but they want to make sure the disciples didn't fake it. What's important for you and me to be reminded of is that Jesus really does keep his promises. See, Jesus promised to rise again on the third day. And if he keeps that promise, which he did when he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, well, then. That means all of his other promises are enforced too, because only God could do this. Listen to a couple of other promises that apply to you and me. This one's from John 14. Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to die and go up to heaven, and they were sad. And he said, don't be sad. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Now, what's good news for you and me out of all this is, Jesus said that he was going to go prepare a place for us in heaven so that all those who follow him, we have a place in his presence in heaven forever. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? Well, it's only good news if Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, he didn't keep his promise about that, and so he won't be able to keep this promise either. Here's another promise that matters. Jesus said in Matthew 11:28, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls." Anybody here ever need rest for your soul? Oh, yeah, we do. This is one of my favorite little paragraphs to quote people when they come into my office and they've been dealing with guilt associated with sin, or they've been struggling with an addiction, or fear controls their lives, or they've got a grudge against somebody and they just can't forgive them because the hurt was so deep. Whatever the issue might be, and I come to and they say, I can't do this anymore. They realize the grudge is poisoning them. They realize the fear is paralyzing them. They realize that something's got to control. The addiction controls their lives and they go, I can't do this on my own. And I go, here's the good news. Come to Jesus. He'll help you. Somebody give me a spontaneous amen. Come on. You got to help me with this. I mean, this is good news, but it's only good news if Jesus really keeps his promises. Now we live in a day where we don't even, I mean, we're so jaded now. I mean, if a politician promises anything at election time, we go, whatever. I'm mean, going live in a day when the cable guy is going to be there at two-ish, five, okay? We don't know when they're going to come. And so we sit there and say, yeah, well, does it really matter if somebody keeps their promises? You better believe it does. When Jesus kept his promise that he rose again on the third day, which he did, all these other promises are enforced too. Last fall... Um, my wife and I had some people drop by, good friends that we made when we lived in Houston years back. In fact, uh, uh, it was a couple. Uh, the husband uh, was a friend of mine who uh, was involved with a ministry that my first ministry that I ever got uh, was involved with with Young Life in Houston, and uh, his name's Jim and. Jim would meet with me every week and encourage me and pray for me. And after we had met for a while, he said, John Schmidt, I want you to know I believe God has called you into ministry and I'm going to pray for you every single day for the rest of my life. That was 28 years ago when he and his wife came to visit us and stayed with us last year, last fall. Um, Walked in, we were talking, he said, John, I want you to know something. I've prayed for you and your wife and your sons by name every day for the last 28 years. And his wife said, he really has. I believe him. I'd trust that guy with my life. If you're wondering, I didn't make the same promise back to him because I wouldn't have been able to do it. But anyway, that's the kind of guy he is. That's a good friend. You know what's a million times better than that? Somebody who died on the cross for our sins. Somebody who paid a penalty we could never pay. Somebody who says, now if you come to me... I'll give you a brand new life. You take my yoke upon you. It'll be easy. It'll be a burden you can manage. Quit trying to run life on your own. I'm preparing a place for you. You don't even have to worry about where you're going to go when you die. I'll take care of that for you too. Just come to me. Can he really do that? Well, if he can rise from the dead, he can. You bet he can. And Jesus' promises are true. You can take him to the bank. And that's why it matters what happened on Easter Sunday morning. His enemies wanted to make sure nobody faked it, but they didn't believe it would really happened. Well, that is until Easter Sunday morning, because here's what happened. This is point two. On Easter Sunday morning, some women found Jesus' tomb empty. Even though there was a guard in front of it. Even though there was a stone sealing the crypt. Early on Sunday morning, this is Matthew 28, verse 1, as the new day was dawning, and please circle the phrase, as the new day was dawning. We'll come back to that in a little while. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. It's important to note here, the angel didn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out. He rolled away the stone to let people in. That matters. Don't think the story is this, that Jesus was crucified. He wasn't quite dead. He was kind of in a deep swoon, and people only thought he was dead, and then they placed him in this cold, grave rolled a stone in front of it in the damp cool darkness he kind of revived and came to and then God sent an angel down to roll away the stone so a wounded afflicted Jesus could kind of hobble out that's not what happened there was an earthquake and the stone was tossed away the angel sitting on it and when the and when the women came and the guards had all fainted in terror he said go inside and look Not so they could see a wounded Jesus, so they could see where the risen Savior used to be lying. Jesus isn't dead. He's long gone. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and death couldn't hold him. That's the good news. And it wasn't the women who ended up being afraid. It was the guards who never understood what was going on. Properly until that moment. There's more. Flip your outline over. Matthew 28, 7, continuing. So the angel went on, continuing. He said, And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And so the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus himself met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and grasped his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Here's a life application for you and me. Because Jesus conquered the grave, we don't need to be afraid of dying or anything else. I mean, this is amazing the angel said, don't be afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. And they mean it. Because Jesus conquered the toughest enemy that any of us will face, death itself. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He also wrote about this in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. So I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow. Some of you need to underline that one. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, if that's good news to you, would you say Amen. Okay, so think about how good this story is getting now. It gets better and better with every single revelation. Jesus is trustworthy, and all of his promises are true. His promises to give us help when we need it and give us rest for our souls. His promises that he's prepared a place for us. They're all true. If he can conquer death, he can do that. And now I don't need to be afraid of dying either. Because Jesus knows how to overcome death. And he says, if you come to me, you'll live forever. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, we read a little of this before, and he says, I'll give you a brand new body that will never die again. Paul talks about that. This is amazing stuff. And that's why I had you circle the phrase on the last page there as the new day was dawning. Now if you think for a minute that it was just coincidental that the angel came and announced all this had dawned, think again. I mean, the angel could have come at noon in the middle of Jerusalem. Why did he choose dawn? Why at the tomb? Well, here's why. Because the women, since Friday night, have been crying in grief. Jesus has died. The devil has won. Sin has conquered. And Jesus failed. Until Easter Sunday morning. And the stone was rolled away. And it became very clear Jesus hadn't failed, Jesus had won it all. The women came there in grief and in sadness and weakness stumbling in the dark and they left with joy and gladness running straight because they could see their way. Don't miss this. The angel came at dawn because a new day was dawning. Understand this is what we have to tell people when we tell them the good news of Jesus. Hey, you may have been trapped with an addiction before, you may have been trapped in fear before, you may have been trapped in a grudge where you can't forgive someone, but with Jesus' help, everything is possible. A new day is dawning. Now, if you need more emphasis on that, that's the next life application. The same power that conquered the grave is available for everyone who believes in Jesus. Never buy into this ridiculous line that some people use, hey, well, I'd become a Christian, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. I've tried to be good before and I know I fail. Well, good. Well, then you only understand half the gospel. Half the gospel is we bring our sorry, tired, rotten selves, sinful selves to Jesus for him to forgive us. The other half is not only does he forgive us, Jesus said, when I go prepare a place for you, I'm going to ask my heavenly father to send the Holy Spirit to you and he will be in you and he will change you from the inside out. And this is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 1. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. When you and I come to Christ, not only do we have the hope of eternal life and Jesus is preparing a place for us, not only do we have hope that he will be with us and strengthen us, We have the wonderful promise that God's Holy Spirit will be inside of us, and the same power that conquered the grave is in me. It's in you. So we come to Christ, of course, we can do things we were never able to do before because Jesus is doing them through us. It's a new day. And that's why the announcement came then. The night is over. Go tell the disciples. The sun is rising. No more doubt. No more fear. Night is scary. Day is filled with brightness and power. That's the message. That's the good news. Go tell them. And they ran. And they ran. Well, by Easter Sunday evening, this is point three in your outline, two stories were circulating through Jerusalem. First one was that Jesus rose from the dead because the women were telling everybody. And they were so excited. We saw Jesus. We hugged him. He's alive. The angel told us, bye. Got to go tell somebody else. <sighs> They're running. It's the greatest news ever. Second story was this. Jesus' resurrection and his elaborate hoax perpetrated by his disciples. Well, how'd that story get any traction? Here's how. Matthew 28, 11, the story goes on. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was immediately called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. In other words, we'll give him a large bribe too. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say, and their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. I hope you understand how easy it would be to debunk that story. So you're going to tell me that a contingent of guards, all of you fell asleep at the exact—I mean, the the whole time—and all of you slept so soundly that a group of cowardly disciples who wouldn't even stand up for Jesus when he was on trial would boldly walk in, roll this huge stone away, take the body out, and none of you woke up. Secondly, if you're asleep, how do you know who stole the body? Uh, we saw them while we were asleep. It doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work. Jesus is alive. The angel rolled the stone away. The guards fainted in terror. Jesus keeps his promises. And here's a life application for you and me. It matters whether or not we believe this. It matters whether or not I believe this, whether you believe this, because the same choice is still available for us. Either this is just a myth that we trot out every year at Easter time, or it's really the truth. Paul said so in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, the same guy who was talking to us about how great it would be that we'd have new bodies, Uh, the same one who reminded us that Uh, Death had lost its sting. He said this, look, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Paul says the whole thing crumbles like a house of cards. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then none of us will either. But he has been raised. And there's new life in Him. Put your faith in Him. This is wonderful for me. I get a chance when I sit down with families and we plan out a funeral service. It's my custom. I take along notepads and I take a whole bunch of notes about the person's life so we can give them a proper eulogy. And we'll laugh at some funny stories and we'll cry at some very touching and poignant moments. And we'll plan the service out. And before I leave, I go... um, now let me give you some good news. And I read him the same things here. I read him the same scriptures we've been talking about today. That Jesus is alive. He's conquered death. He's prepared a place for us. He uh, he promises us brand new bodies that'll never die again. We'll be in his presence forever. I was just with a family this last week and after I read some of the promises one of the people in the room said, "Well, praise God." And that's not unusual. It's also not unusual when we do this and people go, well, you've got to tell people that. Tell them that at the funeral. Say it loud. People need to know this. This is good stuff. I go, oh, you don't have to worry. I paid good money for my seminary degree. I'm saying it, okay? You don't have to worry. But that's the last life application for you and me. Why would it only be me? Why do they have to come to a funeral with John Schmidt speaking in order for us to hear about this? Why don't all of us say this? If you're counting on Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, well, the only reason he forgives he's able to forgive your sins and mine is because he paid the penalty for us on the cross. And if he just died on the cross, he's just another guy who died. But if he rose again, he's more than that. He's a risen Savior. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's preparing a place for us in heaven. He promises that we can bring our souls to him, our dirty, rotten, raggedy souls. He will give us rest. He will, place, he's, he will ask the Father for the Holy Spirit who will come and live inside us and empower us to be the people that we've always wanted to be and that God wants us to be, and we can live for Him, we can die for Him, and He's left us here to tell others this good news. So why would we delay? Well, the women didn't. They ran. But I want to go back to a passage I missed before. I skipped over before in Mark 16. Later that Sunday night, Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas had hung himself. But later he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they'd refused to believe those who'd seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. And then he told them, Now go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. I added the emphasis there. Because I think that kind of fits with the, the rebuke. I mean, the women had come and they didn't believe. Peter and John ran to the tomb. They had to see for themselves. The other disciples wouldn't believe. Thomas didn't even believe for another whole week. Some, some of the other followers of Jesus had been to a, traveling to a nearby town. Jesus walked with them and revealed himself. They came back and said, we've seen the Lord. They didn't believe him until Jesus himself stood in their midst. said, quit doubting and believe. And go tell everybody. Why would you keep this to yourself? Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to baptize some folks here in just a minute. We baptized people last night at an earlier service this morning. We're baptizing people this service and at the next service. It's the most wonderful picture of what Jesus does for us. They all wear white robes to show that our sins have been washed away. When We baptize them. We place them beneath the water, which shows they're dying to themselves and they're going to live for Jesus. When their mortal bodies die, they're counting on Jesus has prepared a place for them with a brand new body that will never die again in heaven. And it's all made possible because Jesus died and rose again. Everybody understand the symbolism here? We're going to do that in just a minute. But one more thought I want to remind you of. And it's so interesting because every Easter, somebody will ask me a question like this. They'll say, John, how do you, how do you come at Easter different every year? I mean, to make it interesting. I mean, you talk about the same thing every year. I mean, doesn't that get old? And I go, no. And they go, well, why not? And I go, Well, it's a funny thing. The important things in my life, I don't need to try to jazz it up. I just need to remember them. Kind of the same way I do with my anniversary. Can you imagine if I told my wife, are we doing that anniversary thing again? We celebrated that last year. Can we skip it? Yeah, she's not open to that. No, she's not. Do you know with my kids, we celebrate their birthday every year. We even sing the same stupid song every year. Why do we do it? Because important things, we need to remind ourselves of them. Because we forget, don't we? We forget sometimes that Jesus really did rise from the dead because we come into situations where we're afraid. We might get a bad diagnosis and now we become afraid of death again. Don't be afraid. Jesus has risen, just as he said. Come and see. The tomb is empty. And if Jesus conquered death then death is no longer holds a sting for us. It's no longer our victor. It's no longer victorious over us. Jesus wins. When we're gripped by fear and worry, we can remember what Paul said. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Death or life or angels or demons or fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love through Jesus. And that's why we talk about this every year. We ought to talk about it every day. Don't forget. I mean, Anniversaries are important. Birthdays are important. This is a million times more important. This is, for this is good news for everyone in the whole world. Jesus is risen, just as he said. Come and see. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father, I just thank you that death is not the end. It's the beginning. It's a new day dawning through you. You conquered death. The women came in trembling in fear, stumbling in the dark, and they left in joy, making a beeline to you. And, oh God, I pray that we would not stumble around in the darkness and be covered up in worry and shame and fear and sin. I pray, Lord, instead we would come to you and you would give us power, wonder-working power, and change us from the inside out. If there's an unconfessed sin in your life, and you need to surrender it today, give it to Jesus now on Easter Sunday. There's never a better time. Come to him today and say, God, I'm not going to hold this away from you anymore. I need your help. Change me. I need rest for my soul. If you've been controlled by fears of today or worries of tomorrow, confess them to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe you are stronger than anything, and there's no problem that you cannot handle. There's no problem I will ever face that you're not strong enough to help me. Oh God, I pray that you will give us courage to proclaim the good news. I pray that we will remind ourselves of this often. I thank, the, thank you, Lord, that you're preparing a place for us in heaven and you're coming back soon to take us there. Give us boldness to proclaim this good news everywhere we go. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Scott, I wanted to introduce some of the folks.